Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I've titled it, uh, The Search for Meaning, the entire uh, study. But when you really start to look at Solomon, again, write it in your notes, sear it on your mind regarding Ecclesiastes. It's the thrill of the chase. Solomon is chasing after one thing and then chases after another. And reality is, as we do life, a lot of us have found ourselves in the thrill of the chase. Solomon made a conclusion that he could put God on the shelf. He could ignore all spiritual things. And Solomon made a conclusion, like many of you sitting in here today, like myself, that we could really find satisfaction. We could really find value and meaning and uh, life to be exciting apart from God. And so you'll, you'll see for Solomon, much like me and you, when we exclude God from the equation, we don't include God at being at the center of all. Life become, can become very uh, disruptive and messy and jacked up as we try to find meaning and satisfaction apart from God. Anybody ever been there? Come, come on. Come, has anybody ever been there trying to chase after things that you thought were going to bring some fulfillment and then to come to the realization, man, this ain't happening. So here's a premise thought. We either use our time or we lose our time. We either use it in a wise way or we lose it and forfeit opportunities and we look back with great regret because we didn't redeem those moments in our journey. And so we only get so many uh, breaths on this planet. 70 to 80 years is considered to be somewhat full. Now, life is kind of like a dollar bill. You can spend it however you want, but you only get to spend it once. And with our time and with our life, it's very valuable. I mean, if you were to come to me, Chad, and say, hey, man, can I borrow a five? I'm like, yeah, I'll give you a $5 bill. If I give you a five, I'll get another five. But if you said, hey, man, can I grab 30 minutes of your time? When I give you that 30 minutes, I'm giving you something I can never get back. And so when it comes to what we give our lives to and give our time to, a lot of us find ourselves living somewhat disrupted and defeated because we've extended our time and our life to those things that really have no value. And that's where Solomon kind of goes here, if you will. Now, I want you to think about this in your own journey today. What are you doing with your time in your life? Are you investing it? Are you spending it? Or are you wasting it? Uh, think about it. You'll hear people say at times, hey, what's up? Oh, dude, just killing time. You're killing time. So, so you get 10,080 minutes in a given week. What do you do with that? And a lot of people would go through life saying, I'm just killing time. I'm just wasting. And I think God is inviting us to invest our time, invest our lives in things that matter and things that will last throughout eternity that have value to them. And so Solomon, when he lays it out, again, it's a biographical sketch of a man who had plenty in his pockets, but was empty in his heart. And I know people that way. They make a lot of money, and they've got all the toys, and you look at them, they're like, man, they got, they got so much in their pocket, but they have nothing in their heart. And you start to look going, man, that's, uh, that's sad. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, Solomon uses the word time 30 times. 
30 times he uses the word time. And I want to unpackage this a little bit for you, but I want to make five just kind of observation statements, if you will, out of chapter three that I think we can all benefit and kind of implement in our lives. Point number one, as we get into this, would be God has a purpose for the good times and the bad times. God has a purpose for the good times and bad times that we go through. Verse 1 says this, there is a time for everything, and there is a season for every activity under heaven. There's a time and a season for all things, which means life is not just random and meaningless and void with no purpose. Even Solomon lays it out. You know there's a time for everything. There's a season for everything. Every high and low you go through, peak and valley you go through. Do do you know that God has a purpose in that for you? You see, if you really desire to follow God with your life and respond to his pursuit of you, and if you really want to walk in the word of God and the ways of God and the will of God with your life, you're going to go through tw- twists and turns and peaks and valleys and ups and downs. And you're going to win some and lose some. And you're going to have some successes and failures. But God has a way of redeeming all things unto himself for his glory and our good. Right? No matter what you're going through on any given day, it can be a blessing from God to get your perspective back on him so that he says, I, I want to redeem what you're going through, but I'm going to let you walk through the valley for a period of time. And some of us struggle at times because we're not on the pinnacle of success, and when we struggle, we don't know how to handle it. But adversity is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us in this journey. God wants us to know, hey, I can redeem all things. For my glory and your good. Some of you walk in here today and you go, man, life's kind of ugly right now. This relationship I'm in is kind of ugly. Our finances are ugly. And God can take the ugliness of your life and take that and turn it into something beauty. He can redeem ashes and make it beautiful if we come to him. That is my narrative God took a jacked up life that was being wasted away and redeemed it for something good. And he wants to do that for you. I want to look at three things here in verses 2 through 8 where he talks about uh, how God can take the good and bad and redeem it to himself. And I want to look at the physical and the emotional and the spiritual. But before I get there, there, there was a song in the 60s. And this song in the 60s, check it out, play it. The song in the 60s is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 2 through 8. The birds made a lot of money off of it. But it's all scripture. Some of us would be wise to start singing scripture. Listen to it. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plan, a time to read. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to be to everything. How many of y'all have heard this song? Now, everybody 52 and older is singing it, so that's a great indication. I love it. I found the sweet spot. You guys are the birds. Next week, we'll play the monkeys and uh, maybe the Beatles. I don't know where we're going in here. But it's crazy. I, w- I was talking to Ronnie, my accountability partner, last night. And uh, I said, Ronnie, 
I said, that song by the birds, turn, turn, turn. I said, did you know that that song is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 through 8? He goes, are you serious? He started singing it. I pulled it up on YouTube and started playing it for him. He opened the scripture, started reading it, and he goes, I never put it together. But it, 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 it was such a powerful song, I believe, because of the truth and the lyrics. Truth kind of connects with us. And so when you look at the physical of life, the good and bad, listen to what he says. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. Well, that's a reality. There's a time and a season for everything. Uh, we, we, we get this dash. We don't know what the expiration date's going to be. But he goes, you know, there's a time for that. And God wants to redeem all moments of that journey unto himself. There's a time to plant and a time to harvest. Y yeah, we go through the early spring of the year and we go out and cultivate soil and we cast seed and do what we do with fertilizing whatever. But then there's that time that we get to harvest it. Like, man, it's that time of year where fresh cucumbers and squash and tomatoes, and I love that stuff, but we don't harvest unless we plant. And he goes, there's a time to see maturation and growth, and it's the same way in our own journey, is it not? I mean, this is the same thing in our journey. He goes, there's a time to kill. There's a time to experience healing in your life. There's a time to tear down. There's a time to rebuild. I mean, we can look at Nick and Lisa and go, wow, check them out. I mean, what, what happened with them? Uh, look at her. She's lost over 40 pounds and her body's changed and she's, she just looks so much more lean and strong. What, what happened? There, there's a time to tear down and there's a time to rebuild. Anybody ever lifted? You don't lift every day. There's a time to tear the body down and you've got to let it recover to heal. It's the same thing spiritually. God goes, I'm going to take you through times and a season of tearing down and breaking you down. The problem with most of us sitting in here today I mean, I've looked at Nick. I work with Nick every day. He comes into the office, and Nick is looking somewhat buff now. I'm like, stay hot, Nick. Look at you, dude. And, uh, but can I tell you something? I've seen this eight, ten-month process. They get up at 5 o'clock. They go to the gym. He eats clean. We go out. He eliminates a lot of carbs. Watches what he puts into his system. And we see, like, this body going, wow, that, that, that looks good. But we don't see the minute-by-minute minute choices that have to be made. And, and, and the same thing spiritually. Some of us just want to take a pill and go from being a hellion to being all of a sudden this perfect saint that never struggles with sin. It don't happen that way. It's a process. There's seasons and there's times and it takes time to heal. We're in the process of doing a home renovation. Can I tell you something? Chip and Joanna, I love your show, Fixer Upper, but what you show is not true. It takes more than 45 minutes to do an entire home renovation. You hear me talking? Come on, Dalton. It takes longer than that, bud. And, and some of us, we look and we think, oh, man, it's going to happen that quick. No, there's a time and there's a season. And you, you tear it down and it takes the time to build it back up. And when we go through life, there's no shortcuts to experiencing God. And God goes, you know, the good times and bad times, the highs and lows, it's me. Then he talks about the emotional. He goes, there's a time to cry. There's a time to laugh, which means there, there's a time to go to the comedy club and there's a time to go to the funeral home. And when you walk out of either one, the emotions are going to differ. There's a time for that. There's a time to hurt. There's a time to heal. He said there's a time to grieve and a time to dance. 
This was crazy when I was reading this one going, yeah, all the rest of them make sense. But he goes, there's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. I'm like, what does that mean? If you study Ecclesiastes, let me, let me go ahead and warn you. The ones of y'all with kids who say, hey, I, I bought my kid a Bible and I'm getting them into the word of God and they're, they're reading it. There, there's some stuff in scripture that can be trippy. The Song of Solomon is a, an absolute borderline porn novel. Anybody ever read the Song of Solomon? Am I lying? Absolutely not. Well, even some of the stuff he writes in Ecclesiastes, when we get toward the end of Ecclesiastes, he'll say, uh, hey, remember God in the days of your youth before the evil days, which means the day of when you're starting to head toward uh, death and your body starts to break down. He goes, remember God in the days of your youth before the evil days come? He says, you know, before the almond tree blossoms, uh, blossoms coach, which means the hair starts turning gray. It's like, yeah, dude, that's going to happen. And he says, you know, the grinders don't work, which mean the teeth. And, and he talks about the grasshopper. He, he's going to start to drag himself along, which means the back of the legs. And I'm like, man, this is not good news, dude. I mean, Solomon, come on, dude. He goes, remember God, remember God. And then he uses the phrase, and the cape of berry will not blossom. He's talking about the man's sex drive. And I'm telling you, Viagra and Cialis didn't exist in that day. And Solomon's writing this stuff out. The same thing exists. When you study scripture, study it. Study it. We want to make it G-rated like it would sell for a five-year-old. When you start to read some of Solomon's stuff, Listen to what he says right here. He goes, there's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather. I'm studying this. And he goes, there's a time to make love and there's a time to chill for a bit. Did you hear that, guys? He... <laughs> Did y'all hear that? Sometimes you got to chill, homie. Come on. There's a time to embrace. There's a time to turn away and get some separation. If you study the scripture, the scripture, that's what it says. And so emotionally, he goes, there's peaks and valleys and highs and lows and there's seasons. And then he talks about the spiritual. There's a time to search and then a time you've got to lose and give away certain things. Hey, you searched it out, now let it go. There's a time to keep quiet, a time to throw away, and a time to tear down, and a time to mend. There's a time to be quiet, and there's a time to speak up. And some of us, man, that would be a great one right there, right? Hey, hey, shh, besides, chill. There's a time to love, time to hate. Jesus even said, if you don't hate your father and mother in comparison to your love for me, you can't be my disciple, and there, there's a time to hate. There's certain things that we should hate, evil, wickedness, sin, there's a time for war and a time for peace. Go back and listen to the birds. Turn, turn, turn. But reality is the different seasons that we go through in life, don't miss it, can be redeemed for the glory of God and your personal good. And God can redeem all things into himself. You're going through a tough time and you're going, will it ever end? It will. I'm going through pain. Will it ever end? It will. When I had my shoulder cut, I'll never forget. Oh, my, it hurt. It's going to be about 18 months before you can throw again. Really? 18 months? Yes. And you're going to have to slowly do all this rehab. And you're going to have to slowly do all this stuff to build it back. There was a season for it. And God goes, I want to redeem the season you're in so that you learn to trust in me and not your own abilities. 
so that you learn to trust that I'm enough in the midst of your pain and not your own abilities. Anybody ever been there? And God has a way of yanking the rug from beneath our feet to say, are you going to trust me and depend on me or not? Second point would be this, and it's all in Ecclesiastes. Trust God even when times get crazy. Trust me that I'm good. Trust me that I'm up to something. Trust me that I'm going to redeem it. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 10. I've thought about this in connection with the various kinds of work God has given people to do. God has made everything beautiful for its own time. God has made everything beautiful for its own time, and he has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. God's put eternity in the human heart. I believe each and every one of us come to grips with this daily, that I was made for something beyond this world. This is not all that there is. When God made me and put me on this planet, there's something inside of me that recognizes I was not built just to live here. What is here cannot satisfy me. What is here is not enough for me. Back to C.S. Lewis. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger, so there is a such thing as food to satisfy hunger. A duck wants to swim. So there is such a thing as water to satisfy this desire. Desire. All of us have this desire inside of us. A desire for something more than earth. Listen to what he says. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was really made for another world. If I try all these things in life, And if I put God on the shelf and pursue satisfaction apart from him and find that it ultimately does not satisfy, but it only cripples me more, I must conclude that I was made for something other than this world. And you were. You were made for a relationship with your God. You were made to live forever, and you will. The reality is, where will that forever be? And God has created us to live with him and rejoice with him and celebrate with him. And it's only through the repentance of sin and placing our faith in Jesus Christ that we find that desire ultimately fulfilled and met. You will not find lasting satisfaction apart from Jesus Christ. And Solomon's like, man, you know what I've I've come to realize? Even when you're going through crazy times and things kind of get all messed up, praise God in the midst of that. Seek God in the midst of that. Glorify God in the midst of that. And some of the greatest lessons God has ever taught me is when I was pitting out and struggling with life issues. Because it calls me not to depend on me and trust me. It calls me to press into him. You were built for something more than this. And Solomon's like... 2,700 years ago, I realized that. Three, honor God and enjoy life. Daily, we can have an attitude of gratitude. Daily, we can look at God and allow him to be enough. We don't have to empower our circumstances as giving us definition in life. I concluded that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they can. That's what he says in verse 12. You know what I've noticed? You know what I think really matters? 
is when people start to really enjoy God and honor God, that's when they start to live. That, that, that's when life becomes fun for them. You know, we were doing the basketball camp, John, and uh, Antonio was sharing with a friend of mine the other day, and he said, you know, I thought, I thought, if I really surrender to Jesus, and if I really allow Christ to take over my life as authority and master, it's going to be so boring he said, only did I come to realize how miserable I was in my sin, and life is not boring with Christ, I'm starting to live for the very first time. And I think a lot of us have this misplaced worship where we're thinking we can find gratification and satisfaction and other things, and he's like, it's not going to work. Enjoy life. Honor God. There, there's two things. Be joyful. Be joyful. For the believer that is following Christ, can I tell you something? Joy is central. Joy is at the core of who I am. I was talking to my buddy who's with me, Ash, and we were talking the other day, and he looked at me and he said, you know, he's hung out with Benji for the last year, my son. He said, you know what blew me away with him? We could be sitting there in the hotel doing a Bible study or just having a, a general conversation. He said, and the thing that started blowing my mind with him was, I did not know on that day whether he was four for four or over four. I, I would have never known what his day was like on a ball field based on the conversation. And I said, why do you think? Because if the joy of the Lord is central... What we do doesn't give us definition. Who we are gives us definition. And I think a lot of us have this misplaced perspective that we think that the only time we can be joyful is when things go our way. It's not true. When we're at peace with Christ and the joy of the Lord is central for us, no matter where we're at, the overflow of Christ can be there with us. Do we want to win? Yes. Do we like to lose? No. Do you want to strike out? Absolutely not. Do you want to go deep? Yes. Is it going to happen every time? No. Even in life, it's not always going to go our way. But when the joy of the Lord becomes central and our resolve is to trust God no matter what, and you got the job. Ah, sweet. You got fired. Sweet. Why? Because something inside of us contemplates and considers that God is sovereign even in this moment. God is sovereign. It's like, yes, I'll never forget it. My baseball background, I'll never forget I got that certified letter in the mail in January of 1989. It's like, oh man, I got a letter from the Dodgers. Sweet, I open it up, Tim. We just want you to know that we have released you and you no longer have a job. Like, sweet. What is God going to do? Where is God going to lead? How is God going to work? And I think every, every circumstance we go through, Danny, is an opportunity for us to stop to say, trust God, period. And when we start to enjoy God, we do good. When we start to enjoy God, we do good. We don't do good to enjoy God. We enjoy God that leads us to doing good. You know the people that you enjoy hanging around the most are the people that enjoy God the most. You know the people that make you sick to hang out with are the people that are self-inflated, self-consumed, 
have to share 47 dig me statements to look at me. And you look at them and they start coming toward you and you go, oh God. Okay, the truth is you don't do that. The truth is you go, oh hell, here they come again. That's really what you say. The reason y'all didn't respond with, oh God, is because you know deep down in your heart, you go, no, I don't say that. Somebody tell the truth. Oh, Lord. But the people we enjoy being with are the people that enjoy God. And when people start to enjoy God, the overflow is they do good. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. How do we walk in those good works? Because we come to the realization that it's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a free gift of God. It's not anything that we've done so that we can boast about it. Oh God, you enjoy me and I enjoy you in the overflow is we do good. And that's what he's writing. 2,700 years ago, he's like, enjoy God. Honor God. The good, the bad, the highs, the lows. Allow God to redeem those for his glory. Here's a fourth thing. Be thankful for what you have. Stop living in the land of comparison. Comparison is the death of contentment. Be thankful for what you've got. People should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. Enjoy what God's given you. When he talks about drinking there, he's not talking about getting hammered. Some of y'all can enjoy a glass of wine. Some of y'all are in so much bondage that it's a drug. Stay away from it. If you're an uptight Baptist who's got chains around you and you can't enjoy a glass of wine, then don't. But if you're a freed up Presbyterian, have a glass. But don't get stinking hammered. Don't get drunk. Let it be rare. Let it be random, but enjoy it. That's what he's saying. People should eat. They should drink. They should enjoy the fruits of their labor. For these are from God. Well, if I'm going to glorify God with my body, I'm not going to abuse myself with the things that God has put there. Enjoy it. Walk away. Go work out. Great. Enjoy that, but don't be a gluttoner. He's going, you know, that, that's good. Be thankful for what you have. Now, you know we live in a generation where thankfulness is not always being manifested. You with me? We live in a, a generation where entitlement is almost the mindset. Well, I deserve. You don't deserve nothing. I didn't deserve to be born. Didn't. I didn't deserve to be born in this country of luxury and plush. Deserve? There's kids throughout the world being born into extreme poverty, sold into sex slavery. Deserve? I, I didn't deserve anything. I'm not entitled to anything. Anything that I have is a blessing from God. And if we can ever just stop and go, be thankful for what you have. Quit comparing with the world. Those messages on the big screen enticing you to buy the latest, greatest, it's not, it's not happening. Stop. 
breathe, give glory to God. Tell him, I'm telling you right now, if, if you got up tomorrow morning, and we've done this before, Sandra, but if you got up tomorrow morning, and for the next 20 days, 21 days, you took a journal and a pen, and you wrote down five things first thing tomorrow morning that you're thankful for, and throughout the day tomorrow, you would just read over, here are five things I'm thankful for. Then you got up Tuesday and wrote five more. Then got up Wednesday and wrote five more. And throughout the day, just started walking through life saying, I'm thankful for this. How would it change your perspective? You want to talk about a checkup from the neck up, eliminating stinking thinking, come on. I mean, we're not pouting and doubting. We're not groaning and moaning. I mean, we're grinning and winning because we're thankful. We've got an attitude of gratitude. We're appreciative. And Solomon years ago says, hey, you know what I've learned? Man, I had a pocket full of money, but my heart was empty. But even when I look back and I got this journey right, man, be thankful. Be thankful for what you've got. Be thankful for God being enough as you struggle through life. And here's, a, here's the last one. Remember. Solomon gets here in, in chapter 3 and he goes, remember, re remember, remember. You're going to give an account for your life one day. I am? Yeah, yeah. Remember, 2,700 years before Christ was born. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 16. Verse 16. I also noticed that throughout the world, there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of the law are corrupt. You, you know how many people were freaking out last summer? Oh my God, we don't have a legit candidate to vote for. There's so much corruption, stupidity. Solomon 2,700 years ago was looking at the people. He goes, do you realize that even those that serve in positions and even the systems themselves have corruption? Why? Because anytime we elect a fallen man with a sin nature to serve, you've got a sinner leading you. That's the reason anytime we submit to a Savior who was perfect and without flaw, we've got a real leader leading us. Come on, there ain't but one leader, and his name's Jesus, the only one that conquered death, hell, and the grave. Solomon goes, you know what I was looking at? Even the courts are messed up. I was like, yeah. Yeah. This ain't anything new. Remember Solomon said there's nothing new? Under the sun? Listen to what he goes on to say. I said to myself, yeah, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad. He's going to judge everyone by their deeds. We read in Hebrews, it's appointed a man to die once and then stand before the judgment. Solomon, 2,700 years ago, was looking around going, there's evil and corruption even in the laws of the land, even in the leaders of the land. But they're going to stand before God. They're going to have to give an answer one day. They're going to stand before this holy, righteous God. And I think if we take anything out of Ecclesiastes 3, God's working, God's good, God can redeem your story. Hey, honor God, trust God, even when it's crazy, give thanks to God, but stop, stop, stop. Remember, you're going to give an account one day. And you're going to stand before this holy God. And 
your eternity is going to be in the scales with you and this God. And, and here's the good thing. Are you scared to stand before God, Tim? No. No. Am I excited to stand before this God based on Tim? No. No. But I had this Savior some 2,000 years ago that willfully walked the Via Della Rosa that was crucified on Calvary's tree. And when he shed his atoning blood as the sacrifice for all sin, he died for me and he died for you. When they placed him in the grave and on the third day, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. He's a a resurrected king seated at the right hand of the Father. You scared to stand before him? No! I got a mediator. I got a lawyer between me and God, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He pleads my case every day. And when God looks at me, he only sees me through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ makes me holy and pure and right and sanctified. I'm going to stand before him. He goes, yep, 2,700 years ago, you're going to stand before this God. What you do with his son determines where you spend eternity. What you do with his son determines how you live life today. And some of us live so beat up and so confused and just so condemned every day. He who has the son has life. Does life start? Eternal life start, Tim, when you die? No, not physically, but yes, it starts when I die to me and Christ makes me alive to him. It starts when I surrender to him by repenting of me And he starts to fuse me and fill me daily with the Holy Spirit to guide me and lead me. And so some of you are sitting here going, yeah, we can learn a lot from Solomon. I mean, homeboy had great perspective. He was very wise. But what will I do with Jesus? I mean, I had a friend the other day said, where's Jesus in Ecclesiastes? I said, dude, he's all over it. He's all over it. But my prayer for you And my challenge to you is that you know God. You're going to stand before him, I am. But what you do with Jesus, have you repented? Have you responded to his love? Have you surrendered? He's like, you get that relationship right and let me start to heal you from the inside out. Life becomes purposeful, meaningful, enjoyable because of the joy of the Lord becoming central in our journey.